Dude, did you know if I was a turtle, I'd only have a few good years left? Yeah? Yeah, because they rarely live to be past 50. Now, Kenku and lizard folk, they get to be about 60, but even then, I'd already be past my prime. Ha! <laughs> Thinking about backstory ideas? Damn. Just more self-reflection, you know? Like, things would be more chill if I was a no. I wouldn't have to settle down and be an adult for like six more years. And you'd get that much-needed boost to your intelligence. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Look, I'd still be considered young for 16 more years by dwarf standards, too. Yeah, that also explains the lack of beard. Yeah, and seeing as I'm only 34, heck, I got 66 more years, so I'm even an adult elf. 34? Oh. <laughs> Happy birthday, dude. you. Garen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it! Dungeons and Dragons. Dan here. I started out in 5e. And me? I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year. We're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Build a new character, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How to range? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here? Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kinda drab. This ain't one, it's the Character Lab. And welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around the one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week we're bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of raging content, and scoring against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey, I'm Garen. And I'm Dan, and while we might be a little bit echoey this week, we are recording from the Airbnb that we're staying in thanks to our patrons of the show here at Origins Gaming Convention in Columbus, Ohio. And we are raging here this week with Alex Klippinger's new product called Book of the Path. For $3.95, you get six new barbarian paths and some inspired lore that expands on all the paths you already know and love. Now, just remember, this is going to be our competitive episode. We did go ahead and shift the calendar around a little bit because we had our Origins Convention debriefing episode, but this is going to take the place of our trophy episode, so it's going to be extra competitive. Alex Klippinger has prepared a prize for us that we're going to open at the end of the episode and present to whichever of us is the winner. And I can't wait to add it to my trophy case along with my pirate booty and beholder. So without further ado, let me jump into my backstory. And I'm loving these first-person perspectives. So here we go again. Unfortunately... When I came to be living here, it's a bit lost. Day and night seem to blend together as one stream, you know, flowing through the rivers of time that see the rise and fall of civilization or the birth or death of gods if you're the religious type. Oh, already getting a bit alienating in my verbosity. I apologize. It's not often I'm speaking to another besides myself, such as the life of self-imposed solitude. If I'm being honest, this exercise is making me a bit uncomfortable. But in the interest of proper introduction, let me start with a more palatable array of information. My name is Klaus Schultz, and I'm the third of that name in my family. 
like most Melanites, I spend my life underground, only surfacing should trade or self-defense call for it. Unlike most Melanites, I have chosen my den far away from those of my kind. I did this because, as you may not be aware, Melanites live by a strict code of ethics. One so strident that my father was forced to give up his life in order to solve the debt over a lost crop of mushrooms. Being but a boy at the time, I was justifiably scarred by this. What damaged me more was seeing my family have no reaction apart from relief that the debt had been paid. I could not abide such structure and decided to leave. Seeing as my decision goes against the societal expectations, I doubt I am missed. Now while the origins of my exile may be dark, it is in this journey that I came to find a new dawn in the way of perception. I came upon this den by way of chance. What's more, the blue cat mushrooms growing near the mouth of the cave were small, but just after I felt this strange passage, I came upon massive blue caps that seemed to be growing unaccosted for centuries. I paced back and forth through that strange door several times until the most unusual thing happened. As I turned to face the threshold, I saw myself. It wasn't a perfect reflection, more of a ghost, pale and blue. I don't know for sure, but I think the passage I have found leads to another plane. One set just off to the side of this world, but exists in another time. It is in this den that I have made my home, and while I'm happy to share this with you, I must ask you now to leave. I've grown tired of your presence, and this is the only time I will ask politely. So I am presenting to you Klaus Schultz, a level 12 barbarian time shaper. He is of the Melanite race, which is a badger person. Links in the show notes. Get on that. He is of the hermit background. And this is, without a doubt, one of the coolest barbarians I've ever seen. Just saying it right off the top. I went ahead and tucked myself in, took a nice little nap. Thank you for that backstory. It was uh, more of a bedtime story for me, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Very interesting. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what the Time Shaper does. I'm a big fan of clockwork, so I'm hoping it does a little bit of that. Not a big fan of Doctor Who, though, so we'll see what happens. That aside, let me introduce you this week to my barbarian, Worth. In the Sin City of Port Nianzaro, you can find just about anything to get your fix. Want to mate with a turtle mistress? Head on over to the Sand Trap. <laughs> Looking to gamble away your earnings? Head on over to the dino races. But if you're just looking for your run-of-the-mill murder session, the Coliseum is the one and only spot. And if you've been to the Coliseum, you've surely seen Worth. He's the undisputed champion for about six years running now. Nothing can stop him. Some argue his turtle shell gives him an unfair advantage, but I say, if it's anatomical, it's fair game. Well, this was the story until Worth squared up against his next opponent, standing in the way of his sword and a sweet, sweet paycheck. His childhood friend, Yogg Trimble. He was a surefire shot from afar, and they even let his swamp wolf fight with him in the battle. Worth had serious reservations about going through with the match, as he did not want to hurt, let alone kill his childhood friend, but Yogg had fallen on hard times and did not seem to share the same reservations. The battle began, and both of them fought hard. It was by far one of the bloodiest matches Worth had ever been in, but he had managed to slay not only Yogg, but his little dog too. Though that night Worth had a tough time sleeping, it didn't take long for Worth to resume business as usual, raging and slaying in the Coliseum. About two weeks after the bloodiest of matches against Yogg, Worth experienced the strangest of strange evenings. During his rest, he saw Yogg and his wolf. They were angry and they swore to return to the Cholton Peninsula some way, somehow. 
Worth then promptly awoke from his slumber, feeling odd, but distinctly different. He was panting and insatiable. The next evening in the Colosseum, Worth, doing his typical thing, blacked out when he awoke. He was grappling his opponent from 20 feet away and dealing forceful blows to him until he was darn near dead. He then charged his opponent with primal force and knocked him prone, and then dealt the final blow. From this moment on, he knew that his vision of Yogg was not a dream, yet Yogg was now part of him forever. Worth is a level 12 Tortal Path of the Possessed Barbarian with the Gladiator background. The subclass, of course, is from the Book of the Path supplement, and the Tortal is a standalone supplement on DM's Guild and I believe DriveThruRPG uh, from Wizards of the Coast. So that's what I'm bringing to the table this week, and I think I've rolled up one heck of a character. Roll dice? Is that what you said? I said rolled up! Oh, that sounded like a rolled doll story that you just told me. Speaking of rolled, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Tabletop Loot, full of great products and even more heart. Their store has shirts, mugs, tote bags, and hordes and hordes of dice. What really makes this place special is they regularly support gaming in schools by having sales where every dice set purchased means one will be donated to a school gaming program. And what's more, their dice selection can't be beat. Now, we don't have time to list them all on this week because they keep adding more, but I'm going to highlight the one that I would use when playing Klaus Schultz. Now, he may be a badger, which is a black and white fur, but I'm more interested in his time shaper factor, and that's why I would choose the Crystalline Fluorite. This beautiful set with translucent blues, greens, and purple with silver numbers really captures the time portal that he walked through. And I think gives you that ethereal quality that you would have when playing this Barbarian. And that's going to make so much more sense when you guys hear these boss moves that he has. Wow, was that improv? That was great. So when you click the link in our show notes to get the set of your next character, use the code LABRAT, L-A-B-R-A-T, to get 15% off your total purchase. This works on everything except the metal Norse Foundry dice. So grab some fresh loot and make your old dice moot. Thank you, Garen and Tabletop Loot, for that message. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, this is where I will explain the show's format. If you are not a first-time listener, you can skip ahead about 20 seconds. We have nine categories in which we've prepared arguments for. In each of these categories, we will state why our character deserves a score between a negative two and a positive two. A positive two is a barbarian in combat, and a negative two is that same barb trying to use persuasion for a discount on their new great axe. Now, finally, once per show, each of us will be able to force the other to roll for the score in which we are arguing for as a charisma saving throw using the charisma score of our character. And then, at the end, whoever has the most points wins. You hear that sound, Garen? Yep. That means melee, baby. I'm going to go ahead and start us off this week. Because Worth is about to show his worth. I'm arguing a plus two. He has two attacks. He battles with a great sword, deals out 2d6 plus five with a plus nine to hit. He's also got five rages. This all probably sounds very familiar to you. Yep. Max of 38 damage per round. Mm hmm. Claw attack is also something that he can use. Maybe if that great sword gets knocked out of his hand, uh, that deals a plus nine to hit with 1d4 plus five slashing. Those two attacks. And then I took the Martial Adept feat, which one of them was the Lunging Attack. And that gives me a five-foot reach if I expend a superiority die. And when I hit, I can add a d6 to those damage rolls. So total potential damage per round is 44. Pretty good. Definitely worthy of a plus two to my plus one. So why don't you roll for your plus two right off the bat? 
See if you can get that. You see that, guys? I already won. I have a zero modifier, so I'm going to need a 17 or better in order to get this plus two. Not going to happen. I'm feeling the love tonight. Oh, and Dan rolled a seven, so I'm going to mark you down for a one. And I'm going to take a one with my plus seven hit, 2d6, plus three, plus my three damage for rage. And I got my claws, which are just like the total claws, 1d4, plus strength. Very simple. Well, here's the thing. For a plus one, it's a DC 15, and I don't think you can do it. So let's go one for one. I've got a plus one to my charisma. Much better chance of making this happen. I mean, it's almost a guaranteed at this point. Rolled an eight. Not oh. Right, so red. I'll write a zero. But that's a nine total. That's almost 15. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's not even good enough for a minus one by our standards, folks. <laughs> so, Garen... With both of us failing our charisma throws, we've taken that element out of the game. Take us into ranged. Got them javelins. That's it, huh? Yup. What are you arguing? Zero. No, this is this is level 12. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you why you're nowhere near that. What I'm are you arguing, talking about? I'm arguing a plus one. So the gladiator background allows you to take an inexpensive but unusual weapon. Inexpensive. Inexpensive but unusual. All right. So I chose an antimatter rifle with a plus zero to hit. It deals out 68 necrotic damage. Are you proficient in an antimatter rifle? I am not. That's why I have a plus zero to hit. How much does an antimatter rifle cost? It's inexpensive enough for it to be listed on D&D Beyond. As inexpensive, though. As inexpensive and unusual. Are you sure it's inexpensive? Well, it was one of the options for me to choose on D&D Beyond, Garen, so if you'd like to take it up with the devs, I'm more than happy to sit in on when they don't respond to your email. Not a sponsor. So uh, is there an inexpensive button you can tab on D&D Beyond? Uh, no, but you can go ahead and build a character and then go through the motions with the gladiator background and then go ahead and scroll down and see that it's one of the options. Okay, D&D Beyond, because you're listening, what's going on with that? Why are gladiators using antimatter rifles? Todd Kendrick, Adam Buxton, we're talking to you. We know your names. Do you know ours? Nope. Okay, let's move on. So, what do you feel about the antimatter rifle for a plus one, and you a minus one, because I do 68 and you have some javelin? I think you I think you get a zero because that's ridiculous. No. You Why want is, a zero to zero? I'll take a minus one, but you get a zero. It's Why not, is your gladiator total I mean, carrying so, an antimatter rifle? So, here's rifle? the thing. There are two attacks, so I'm able to do this twice. I'm being reasonable because I know this is ridiculous, and so I'm arguing a plus one. It's 68 necrotic damage. That would be 12d8 necrotic. That's dumb. I agree it's dumb, but it's a plus one it's to your minus one. Why is it not a one? It's a crap load of This damage. is some serious cheating. This is why Team Dan is so backwards. They support yeah. him even though he's pulling baloney like this. Yeah, because Garen does not cheat. That's true. He's straight and narrow. Anyway, moving into burninating, I'm arguing a minus one. So I have Spectral Rage, which allows me, while raging, I'm able to move through creatures as if they were difficult terrain. And when I do so, the creature takes 1d8 force damage. This effect cannot occur more than once on the same creature in the same turn, but it does allow you to do this to as many creatures as possible. But if you land on the same space as a creature is occupying, you get shunted to an adjacent unoccupied space and take 1d10 force damage. And because of this, I'm arguing a minus one. It's a pretty cool feature though. That's fair. Yeah. I like the idea that you're moving through them and dealing damage at the same time. Yeah, and no opportunity attacks. Pretty neat. Yes, that's a fun feature. Yes, you can have your minus one. I'm going to actually argue a plus one because my level 10 feature, Force of Time, one aspect of it, I'll get to the rest later, means I deal 1d6 force damage on all attacks. 
Oh yeah. Standard De- damage. Definitely plus definitely plus one, because that's on all attacks. You get two attacks per turn. That's an easy one. Better than key-empowered strikes, so I, I think that we can make that standard. So with that established, Garen, I think that, you know, as specialized barbarians, this control category is going to be second to the melee category in the most contentious. So what do you have for us? You're absolutely right. I got a couple of really nice things here. Let's get into the Time Shaper subclass. So your level three feature is called After Image. You leave time-delayed versions of yourself. When you're raging and move out of a space on your turn, you leave a hazy After Image behind. Until the start of your next turn, that space counts as occupied and the After Image has your reach, though it isn't considered a creature or an object. Creatures can move through the space as difficult terrain. If a hostile creature moves out of the after image's reach, you can use your reaction to cause the after image to make an opportunity attack. Yes. Dealing force damage in place of the weapon's normal damage type. It's using your damage die, but doing magical damage. After images last for one minute. You can leave behind a maximum number of after images equal to your charisma modifier, which for me is two, which is decent. When you exceed this maximum, the oldest after images vanish. As soon as I read this on level three, I was sold. That is battlefield control for sure. You could set up two of those guys and be totally locking down the battlefield, keeping the enemies from getting away, protecting your squishies, because you'd be dealing 2d6 plus six force damage. And utilizing those reactions. Yes. Additionally, the other part of my level 10 feature, Force of Time, is when I take the attack action on my turn, I can forego one of my attacks to have an after image make the attack instead against a creature within its reach. The after image's attack is with disadvantage or as a normal attack roll if I use my reckless attack for the turn. So those things considered, I am arguing a plus one. Almost plus two territory because of the amount of battlefield control I have, but I'll take a one. Okay, well, I will grant you that plus one gladly. I'm also arguing for a plus one. I have Feral Instinct, as you do, Menacing Attack, which is also one of my martial adept features. Um, And on a successful hit, the attacked creature must make a DC 17 wisdom saving throw or be frightened of me. Super powerful and controlling. And then I also have a feature called Ghostly Push, which at 10th level allows you to go into a rage and select up to three creatures that I can see within 15 feet. The target creatures must make a strength saving throw equal to a DC 14, which is 8 plus proficiency plus wisdom, or they're knocked prone. Super controlling. Yes, that is really cool. I'm not knocking that at all. I think I edge you out on this because, as we know, recovering from knocked prone is not horrible. You use half your move action. But recovering is not the point. When you knock down up to three creatures you're able to get advantage on all three of those creatures on your attack rolls. But it's also only when you go into rage. So it's one time when you go into rage. So when I have, wait, but, 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 when I have five rages per long rest, I'm going to be using those rages quite a bit because I don't know about y'all, but we don't have much more than five battles per long rest. So I'm going to always be raging and it's rare that a combat will last more than 10 rounds, especially when I'm in the mix. No, that's absolutely true. So what I'm saying is because my after images last for the entirety of my rage and your ghostly push only triggers on the start of your rage, I think my control is a little better than yours. I'll agree with you because both of these arguments are dependent on resources. Granted, I would get the ghostly push five times per long rest. Yours lasts the entirety of a rage, which is more valuable. So I'll take a zero to your one. 
But let's move into tankiness and let's see who's the tankier of the two of us. I'm Argonaut plus two, 180 HP, AC of 17. I've got those rage resistances and relentless rage, but also spectral rage gains me resistance to psychic and force damage while I'm raging. Ooh, yeah. Okay, very uncommon types of damage, but I'm not discounting how well, cool that is. But you add that into bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage, and it becomes a considerable consideration that most of the damage types are, have resistance. Except fire, which is very common. So. We know all that psychic damage being thrown around. Your AC and your HP is so high, and you got more resistances than me. So I, anyway, I'll take that plus two. <sighs> all right. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm better than you, right? Yeah, I'm going to take a plus one. I got 168, AC of 15. I have got level six feature, Jarring Rewind. This is cool, but it does have a little downside, which is going to bring me down a little bit. When a spell or another effect that forces creatures to make a saving throw would affect you, but not affect one of your after images, I can use my reaction to relocate to one of the after images as long as it's within 60 feet of me. When I do so, I take one D4 force damage for every 10 feet traveled. That I really liked because that is a downside to the feature. The after image then vanishes. I also have Shake It Off as a badger person. When I'm poisoned, I can use an action to end that condition. And once I use this trait, I need to finish a long rest before I can do it again. So loving the jarring rewind, but it does still deal me some damage. So I will take a plus one. Okay, so then moving right along here, let's go into ally assist. How do you, as a barbarian, which as we know, this is a pretty tough category for us as barbarians. How do you help your friends? Before I tell you about Klaus Schultz and how he helps his friends, I would like to read one of our five-star reviews that has been published on the iTunes. And this is by <laughs> Crasher2649. And he writes, world's best podcast. Already my favorite guy. I've listened to every single episode and they never seem to disappoint. This podcast makes life more fun and bearable. Apparently he's having a hard time with life and we're here for him. It also gives me new ideas for characters and adventures in D&D 5e. Thank you, Crasher. I hope you're still listening now because you heard, you said you've heard them all, so you need a new one. You're our best little baby. Klaus Schultz helps his friends because as a Melanite, as a Badger person, he has a green thumb, which means he can cast Goodberry once a day. Oh, I'm gonna keep, come on! I'm gonna keep bringing that spell back until everyone is convinced that it's great. Go ahead and tweet at us if you hate Goodberry as Goodberry much as I do. soup. Stop, stop all that. It's the worst. That's a zero. It's one thing! But it heals and it replenishes your, your nutrients. All right, so here's the deal. So I'm we're going, zero. We're going one for one. Zero. Because I have zeros. something called Holtergeist, which at sixth level, when you attempt to grapple a creature within range, which for this specific ability is 20 feet, you go ahead and make a grapple using your wisdom modifier plus your athletics proficiency, if any, which for my friend Worth is a plus 11. Wow. Yeah. So so you're helping your friends by pulling people away with grapples? Is that what you're saying? So I'm grappling these folks, and they go ahead and get advantage on attacks against these creatures while they're grappled. And then while they're grappled, you can use a bonus action on any of your turns to deal force damage to the creature equal to your wisdom modifier, which in my case is a plus 2. So I'm not only grappling and helping out, but each time I take a turn fighting somebody else, I go ahead and deal out an additional two force damage to maybe somebody that's near to my ally and was giving them a lot of trouble. 
I think this is an easy zero because yours was Goodberry. So that's fine. Yeah. Alex Klippiger really likes that force damage. He's trying to make it more important. So this game is pretty close. And we are moving in to the charisma scenario this week submitted by Ryan Lefley. Thank you, Ryan Lefley. Thank you, Mr. Sixes in our Discord. You and your party have completed a quest for the Lord of the Realm. And as such, you request an audience with the Lord. Partway through the audience, the Lord said something to draw the ire of your massive Goliath barbarian party member. <sighs> you have seen the look on their face before. They are about to fly into a rage. The Lord's guards are clearly getting edgy and readying themselves to attack at the slightest provocation. How do you defuse the situation while trying your best to maintain your relationship with the Lord? So let me start off with my smooth operator scenario here. As a hermit, I'm proficient with an herbalism kit. So I tell everyone, just like, take a hot moment, okay? And I ask some of the guards to bring some water in cups. I then pass around some soothing mushroom herbal tea to my party and the Lord's guards with a side of good berries. Once everyone has had a snack, because you're not yourself when you're hungry, I use my plus two to slide a hand to rip the Goliath's loincloth off and we all have a good laugh at his good berries. What are you arguing here? Plus one. So you're using Goodberry again. It's hard for me to grant you anything but a zero. I'm going for a zero as well. And no, no, you can't just say that and then move on. Well, like give let, me a chance to let's respond. Talk, let's talk about it after I propose my argument. What about my mushroom tea, though? Nobody wants it. What about the hilarious? Why don't I roll a sleight of hand to see if I'm able to get I that one? I had a glass off. of that mushroom tea, and it was cream of mushroom soup. It wasn't tea. That's, oh. an, that's an 18 plus 2 on ripping that loincloth off so everyone can laugh at his junk. Nobody wants to see that. All right, so... But it's funny. I'm arguing a zero, okay? I use my celebrity to calm everybody down, and I do my signature move from back in my days in the Coliseum in town. Once everybody is clearly stunned from being in awe, I use my rage and speak as quickly as possible. And if you didn't know, funny little note... Rage gives expertise in auctioneer speaking. Oh, it's a language. It's a language all its own. I think we're going to need to hear you do that. One dollar, two dollar, two dollar, three, three dollar, four. Who's got a five? Six, seven, six, seven, 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 eight, eight, eight. So that's you get that when you rage only. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so those guys are raging. They they get a lot of blood vessels bulging in their forehead. So he's just speaking his case to the Lord as quickly as possible. Zero. Because he's raging, he's doing the auctioneer speech, it's creative, and I'm using my celebrity to shock and awe. Okay, but what were you auctioning? I wasn't auctioning anything. I was. But using you were saying auction. $1, $2. I was showing you what auctioneer speech sounds like. Yeah, but like. in this scenario, what are you saying? Yes, Lord, we did the thing. We did it. We did it, we did it real, real well. We did it well. You can give us gold. One, one thousand, two thousand, two thousand gold. We got three thousand gold. Uh, let's look at this card here. We got four thousand gold. Four thousand, four thousand five hundred. We got four thousand, four thousand seven hundred fifty gold here, and sold for four thousand seven hundred fifty gold. That was just confusing. You're the one that asked. All right, so it's zero to my one. Yeah. Now, how I would handle this aggressively—that's the barbarian specialty. Argon plus one here, I would push my way through the guards after entering my spectral rage. They each take 1d10 force damage and just fly out of the way because I use ghostly push on them to knock them prone after I push my way through. I then approach the Lord 
as he may be trying to get away. And I use Holter, guys, and hold him in place and make him hear us out that we fulfilled the mission. We want our payment, and I won't let him go until we get it. And then, you know, I mean, that, that barbarian that's about to rage is me. I mean, in this scenario, we all know that the Goliath barbarian about to rage is me. Okay, but the part of the scenario that you lost was you were supposed to maintain your relationship with the Lord. I don't. I did by holding him. That's not maintaining your relationship. Part of Holtergeist was holding down a relationship. Holding down a relationship? Yeah. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah, it's a plus 10 to hold down a... Okay, yeah, you get a one for that. Yeah. So I aggressively would throw a handful of good berries at my Goliath's feet to distract him, and then I start tunneling into the floor as a melonite. I tunnel around his feet to weaken the spot, and he falls right into the pit I've created. I then leave my Goliath in the Lord's chamber because the Lord was acting like a jerk, and the Goliath's always causing trouble, so they deserve each other. And I just leave him in a pit in the Lord's chamber. So, I don't know what you're arguing, but I'm going to give you a plus two because you used a feature not specified by the race, and you went way more creative than I did. No, the, this feature was specified by the race. Well, okay. Tunneling is part of the Badgers. Oh, well then, perfect. Because yeah. I thought you were just... Making that up? Yeah, like yeah. making an assumption as a Badger, which is something that definitely... No, they got tunneling do. speed equal to half their movement speed. So going into X-Factor, before we reveal these scores, I wanted to just touch on the fact that, Garen, I really liked what Alex Klippinger did and what a lot of these third-party publishers are doing with the reaction. And... I'm not seeing a lot of that from Wizards, and I know I've touched on this before, but the reaction is part of a holistic turn as a player, and I really like to see these third-party publishers incorporate that and give players a little bit more empowerment when it comes to playing their character and feeling more well-rounded out. So I really wanted to commend him for that feature. Also, I really like the Path of the Possessed because barbarians are very brutal creatures, and I feel like they sometimes are probably killing something that maybe um, they didn't want to kill or maybe may haunt them or want to possess their being and maybe even help them out. So I thought this was a really fun little take on that. I also liked the grapple from 20 feet away with a specialized save that was 8 plus proficiency plus wisdom. So I just thought that was a lot of fun. Dan, I absolutely agree. Reaction is a huge part of the turn. It should be utilized as much as possible. And there are only a few core features like Uncanny Dodge, for instance, that really take advantage of that, of that having that option. Big thank you to Alex Klippinger for taking the time to emphasize reactions, also giving us some more force damage in our lives. And let me tally up the scores really quick and we find out who gets the prize that Alex has sent to us. Folks, I am pleased to announce that with a score of seven to five, I have won yet another competitive episode. That is three to zero in all of the episodes that count when it comes to the lab. Oh, what a complete sham. We all know that this was fixed. But I will say I greatly enjoyed featuring yet another feature of a Labby Award winner, Alex Klippinger, in his newest work, Book of the Paths. Now, guys, once again, as Garen mentioned at the top of this episode, it has six paths in it, and it's just $3.95. Alex Klippinger is one of the best independent authors out there on DMs Guild, and this is an absolute steal, just as the rest of his works are. So be sure to pick up not only Face of the Forgotten Realms, not only Tome of the Pact, but also this Book of Paths. Garen, what else do you have to say about this work? I'm so excited to open my third prize. Only if you share it, like their other two, uh, well, maybe not. Dan, please provide the sounds as I open this box.
Oh, this is great. Dan, you know what this is? Oh, oh. It a smells whole... like rotting. Oh. It is. It's a whole box of severed trophy heads. Oh, God. Provided by barbarians. Get that and... off my desk. Get it oh, off my desk. Even better, a sweat-stained codpiece. For those of you listening at home, Google codpiece. What is a codpiece? That is the piece of clothing that only goes over your junk. Alex knows what we're all about. Oh, it's just... It smells like yeast. Very yeasty. Oh. Someone make bread? I'm going to wear it like a headband as I trounce around. Winner three times in a row. Thank you guys for tuning in for this episode. We are very excited about next week's episode as we return to a tried and true format. One of our first silly shows. And that is You're the Worst. That's right, folks. I am going to build the worst possible character that I can for Garen, and the lowest possible score in this episode wins. Garen is going to be trying to do the same to me, and I'm going to win. Ladies and gentlemen, come back next Wednesday for another exciting installment of the D&D Character Lab. I'm Garen. And I'm Dan. Gotta scratch them balls, but until then, just remember, when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lab, and all episodes for that matter. Yeah, but if you left this episode just wanting more, you can join us on Patreon for tons of bonus content. At our lowest tier, you can join our Discord and participate in fan battles and have access to all PDF content that we post. You can even chat with us throughout the day. For just a little bit more, you get two bonus episodes a month and access to the entire backlog of fight clubs, monster labs, and special interviews that we've been pumping out since March of 2018. Patrons in the next tier get early access to our regular show, sometimes as much as nine days prior to release date. They also get PDFs of the character sheets for the characters that we've built in the 2019 episodes and beyond, and they can submit a smooth operator or spitting fire charisma scenario that we will use in each and every episode. And our top, top tier patrons get merch a couple times a year, have a chance to submit characters, and can sway the fates with automatic crits and fails on our charisma rolls during the show. At any level, we hope to bring you more fun. We love working Working on this show and the support of our patrons helps continue to make it better. If you're digging the new audio production that began in 2019, just know that it wouldn't be possible without those that already donate. And we have more plans to beef up the lab, and we need your help to do it. But however you support us, we thank you. We hope to have you back next week. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter at DD Character Lab for some previews of what to expect and lots of links to other great community content. Until Wednesday, peace, love, and point by. We knew because we were recording this live that we could be a little less prepared. Also, for the our next chat. also our next episode is going to be recorded slightly inebriated, and so it's we just the, got started. It's the you're the worst episode, and so we are starting to drink, but we have to kind of keep we have to keep it going because we have to be drunk for the next episode. So I'm gonna go get another beer while you do what you were supposed to do. Okay. Well, you were doing what you were supposed to do ages ago. All right.